Uh, I recently was reading a biography on Charles Spurgeon and came across a statement that he made to a church that he was, he was joining the past, jumping into the pastorate at as a young man. And I'm going to steal a request he made to his church and, and put it to you. Spurgeon said the following, I entreat of you to remember me in prayer. Please pray for me. That I may realize the solemn responsibility of my trust. Remember my youth and inexperience and pray that these may not hinder my usefulness. I trust also that the remembrance of these will lead you to forgive mistakes I may make, I will make, or unguarded words I may utter, I probably will utter, be patient with me. Oh, that I may be no injury to you, but a lasting benefit. This is my, my hope and prayer, that I might be a benefit to you, might come alongside you and serve you and live life with you and build you into the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, build, in, build you into the hope that we have in His unwavering, never-changing Word. And while I'm grateful for you, I am, I'm more grateful that this morning we get to open God's Word together. And there is, there is life-changing truth for us in His Word, as there is every day and every week that we open up His Word. This is God's revelation to us today. So may we have ears to hear His voice. We'll be spending our time John 8, verses 12 through 30. So you can go ahead and open there. If you're paying attention, last week we finished chapter 7, and we're not starting at the beginning of chapter 8. We're starting in verse 12. The reason for this is quite straightforward. All of the man- early manuscripts of John don't include verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 11. They do include 12. That's where we're starting there. <laughs> so we're, we'll be looking at 8, 12 through 30. And uh, the title of this morning's message will be The Light of the World. And that's for you, Chris Mays. The Light of the World. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, before we jump in, let me, let me just provide a little bit of, of background and a quick refresher for where, where we've been. Uh, Larry's just done a wonderful job so far, hasn't he, in John, in, in building us into the glory of Jesus Christ revealed in this gospel and helping us, helping us see and believe in who he was, who he is and who he was. The writer makes it quite clear in John 2031, does he not? We probably all know it by now by heart with how Larry repeats it. All these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's, that's why John wrote, that we might believe and by believing have life in his name. John spends his time in the first half of this book talking about who Jesus was, talking about miracles that he did and, and teachings that he gave. And as Christ is revealed through these passages, opposition begins to arise from the Jews. By the time we get to John 5, we see this tension just continuing to escalate. The religious leaders are becoming increasingly incensed at who Jesus is claiming to be. In John 5, he heals a, heals a man on the Sabbath. And this is, Jesus is putting himself above the law and this is, this is trouble. In John 6, Jesus equates himself to bread from heaven. And it's, we come across the first of, of seven I am statements in John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. To the Jews that heard this, they know that Jesus is referring back to the God of Israel saying, I am who I am. He's pointing back to the great I am. And in this case, I am the bread of life, equating himself with a manna that came down in the wilderness that preserved the people of Israel as they left Egypt. John 7 brings us to Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. This is what we've heard about the past couple weeks. This was an annual feast similar to how we would celebrate July 4th. They celebrated God's deliverance from Egypt 
and the way he provided for them in the wilderness. God called his people out of Egypt, and he brought them to live in tents in the wilderness. And he, he graciously met their needs, and he brought water forth from rocks, and he sent food from the sky. This was an enormous part of Israel's history. And the whole point of this feast was so that Israel would, would remember, so that they would, they would remember, they would reattach these past experiences to themselves, their lives now. They would look back to the salvation that God provided for them in Egypt. They were reminded that they are His people and He is their Lord. And last week, Larry talked about the, the climax of this feast. So it was a week-long feast, and towards the end of this feast, there's a ceremonial pouring out of water, hearkening back to when water poured forth from the rock. And it was in this context that Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus, through his words, was challenging the point of all of the imagery and all of the symbolism of this feast. The symbols of this feast, Jesus was saying, aren't just pointing back to a past deliverance, but they're pointing forward to me. This made the Jews' blood boil. This was blasphemy. Jesus was putting himself on equal footing with God, and opposition continued to mount. Now there's one other symbol that we should be aware of that took place at this feast. At the outset of the feast, there was this lighting of these massive torches in the temple. And it's said that these torches were lit up to remind the people of how God led them through the wilderness by a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. So these torches set a glow, the temple, and they say that you could see these torches from all around Jerusalem. They set the whole city aglow. And this is the context for the words that we're looking at today. Coming right on the heels of this, this is what Jesus says. Look, look at John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. The one who who sent Jesus to be the light of the world. And we look to you as our hope. And may we see something this morning of of the glory that you reveal in Jesus Christ. And may it change our lives. May it affect how we live today and may it affect how we live this week. Lord, may we see you, Jesus. Lord, help me as I bring, bring this word to this church on this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live today in, in dark days. Just this last week... The sixth video was released by the Center for Medical Progress detailing the atrocities of Planned Parenthood and their murdering and dismemberment and sale of these babies. These are dark days. Uh, Last, uh, just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, I got a text message from my dad saying that a good friend of mine in Louisville passed away unexpectedly, was killed in a car accident. Wonderful man, loved the Lord, leaving behind a wonderful wife and three little girls and a little boy who was born eight days later. These are dark, dark days. Just a couple months ago, the Supreme Court ruled to redefine marriage. No longer is marriage between a man and a woman. These are dark, dark days. Over the past year, we've seen Racial tension still exists. We thought the Civil War, slavery, the KKK was behind us. I think many of us live thinking those things. But in Ferguson, Missouri, in Baltimore, Maryland, throughout the country, we see that there's still tension here. Life, life is not honored and esteemed. These, these are dark days. And every day, every week, we face sin and we battle our, our pride. We're debilitated by fear of man. We give in to laziness and lust, and we let jealousy and bitterness permeate the relationships around us. These are dark days. When Jesus, Jesus says these words, He was facing some dark days. He was on a road to Jerusalem. He was on a road to Calvary. Opposition was mounting. He was trying to be silenced. He was, they were attempting to arrest him. They, they really wanted to murder him. They wanted to put an end to Jesus Christ. They were dark days. But in the midst of this darkness and depravity, Jesus speaks out. He speaks to us today in our darkness. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus makes this statement about who he is. He is the light of the world and follows that up with an incredible promise to all who hear him 
and believe in Him. The big idea that we're going to be getting after today is that by believing in Jesus, the light of life shines into our darkness and changes everything. By believing in Jesus, the light of the world, the light of life shines into our darkness and changes everything. And we're going to look through this passage at at just how Jesus changes everything. And we'll do this through the, the two paragraphs that John puts before us. In verses 13 through 20, we're going to look at how the light changes our, how we view our circumstances. And then in verses 21 through 30, we'll look at how the light changes how we view death. So first, the light changes how we view our circumstances, verses 13 through 20. In order to see how our, our perspective of our circumstances changed in the light, let's look at how Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. Jesus begins this dialogue with this audacious claim to be the light of of the world. He doesn't say that I'm a light of the world. He just doesn't say that he's one of the lights of the world. He says he is the light of the world. Audacious claim. But instead of asking Jesus, oh, what do you mean by being the light of the world? The, the Pharisees try to trap Jesus on a technicality of the law. They miss the whole point entirely. And they declare Jesus' words as false because he's bearing witness about himself. We see their, their objection there in verse 13. They are going after the authority of Jesus, saying, you've got no authority to to make this claim, to say this. But Jesus' response decimates the Jews' tactic. He says this in verse 14. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. In other words, Jesus is saying, I came from God, I'm going to God. I know why I'm here and I know who I am. You have no clue. You don't even know God. They don't understand the nature of light. Light, in order to prove that it's light, all it has to do is shine. Despite the objections of the blind, light is still light when it shines. Jesus goes on in verse 15, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Jesus is pointing out that the Jews, the Pharisees, they're bound by these fleshly and human categories. They're trying to put Jesus in their, their Messiah-sized box that's very limiting. And Jesus is saying, you have no clue what you're talking about. You are bound by these human and fleshly categories. I am God. Jesus then explains these human categories, continuing to separate himself from his adversaries. Jesus points out that the standard that they appeal to in, in their law is so far beneath who he is. So the Pharisees question the authority of Jesus. They question the authenticity of Jesus. But they're restricted by these fleshly categories. The, the Pharisees don't understand at all who Jesus is. So Jesus responds by showing that to be the light of the world means to have the authority of God the Father. The Jews in their attempts to subvert Jesus' revealing of, of his or, the origin of his authority, they question his authenticity. But Jesus has pointed to the Father and the fact that they don't know where he came from. And the Jews are thinking, well, now we've got him. Because we'll attack who he is. So they ask him, where is your Father? See, this time the Pharisees would have, would have probably had in mind Jesus' background. They would have known about Joseph and Mary and this illegitimate child that was born prior to marriage. So where is your father? Jesus once again goes right after them saying, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father too. 
Jesus continues to build on this idea that he is completely other than them. That he is so far beyond them, stating again that they don't have a clue who he is. Jesus is saying that this group of people who pride themselves on their their religious devotion and on their knowledge of the law, they don't know him, and moreover, they don't know his Father. So not only is Jesus offending this group's very, very sensibilities, he's doing it in the heart of their religious center. He's doing it in the context of the temple. Look at verse 20. John, John gives this remarkable detail. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And then John says this, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So the Pharisees have questioned the authority and the authenticity of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you have no, no clue who I am. You think in human categories. I think in categories of the divine. And they're offended. And they want to silence him. But can they do anything about it? No. They're powerless before the true God. We see here in Jesus' response in John's detail that the light of the world really is God and has authority over all. So what does this have to do with us today? How does this change how we view our circumstances? Well, because Jesus is who he says he is, we can have confidence in every circumstance. Because Jesus is who he says he is, we can have confidence in everything that we face. Jesus is God, and Jesus has authority over all of life. So where in your life do you doubt the authority of God? Where do you question whether or not he's in charge? In the D.C. area, I can face that when I'm, when I'm driving in traffic. Surely no gracious God would make me sit through this. I question the authority of God. Maybe it's with a job that you have or you don't have. You've, you face trial after trial at work. Surely Jesus wouldn't put me through this. Maybe it's a relationship that you've been, you've been longing for or a relationship that's been broken. Surely God wouldn't have me face this. Or maybe it's something more significant. Maybe it's a sickness or disease. Maybe you're standing in the face of death. How could God be sovereign over this? We all face situations where we, where we doubt. It could be small, like traffic. It could be big, like death. We face circumstances where we doubt that Jesus is who He says He is. But He is who He says He is. He is God overall. He is the light of the world. And what does this mean? It means that He is sovereign. He's sovereign overall. We have no need to fear. And we see that as Jesus defends His authority, He defends His authenticity. Then we see Him actually doing it in verse 20 when He stays the hand of His accusers. He stays the hand of those who are out to get Him. They're powerless before God. Charles Spurgeon says, reflecting on verse 20, Every child of God is immortal until his work is done. The enemy cannot lay hands upon a Christian until his Lord wills it. Every child of God is immortal until his work is done. God is sovereign. The enemy cannot lay hands upon a Christian until his Lord wills it. We see that with Jesus. His hour had not yet come. The Lord still had work for him to do. Our circumstances and fears are powerless before the light of the world. John begins his gospel in John 1.5 saying, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because Jesus is who he says he is, we can have confidence in every 
circumstance. The dialogue continues, and the Jews seem a little stupefied by Jesus' tactics, and they've been handcuffed, obviously, because they can't do anything to Jesus. So Jesus continues the conversation, and we're going to move to point two now, how the light changes how we view death. The light changes how we view death. Now, death is the great equalizer of this world. It's something our, our culture tends to avoid, to hate talking about. Money and time is constantly poured into avoiding death, to staying young, to putting off death. But we're all going to die. I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning. We are all going to die. Twice in this passage, Jesus tells the Jews, you will die in your sins. Jesus is telling them that this death in your sins is the darkness that you walk in. This is hopelessness. This is the worst way to die, lost and given over to sin. And the Jews know this. They know what Jesus is saying. But even as Jesus offers hope, He gives them a plan and and the power to be saved. But the Jews are blind to it. Coming on the heels of Jesus articulating the origin of His authority, His authenticity as God, Jesus says, I am going away, this is verse 21, and you will seek Me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus knows what's laid out in front of him. He knows that he is on the road to Calvary. The first six chapters of John encompass about two and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as we get to John 7, John 8, the narration slows as the tension escalates as Jesus comes closer to the reason why He came. And Jesus tells the Jews, not only am I going away, but you will be blind to who I am. These Jews who prided themselves, their culture was built on their religious devotion to the God of Israel. They prided themselves on waiting and expecting their Messiah. And here He is, right in front of them, and they're blind to it. Jesus is saying, I am right in front of you, but I will not be here long. I am going away. I am ascending back to the Father. You will seek Me, but you will not find Me. You will die in your sins. But the Jews don't take Jesus' warning here seriously. They mock Jesus' plan. They question Him, saying, will He kill Himself since He says, where I am going, you cannot come? And here they implied, they actually implied suicide in their question. Are you really going to stoop that low, Jesus? Are you really going to be that outside the law? But they miss Jesus' very plan for salvation. So the Jews have doubted Christ's authority. They've doubted His authenticity. And now they question His plan. But Jesus responds in verse 23. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus reiterates His other than-ness and and once again He hearkens back to the God of Israel, the great I am, the one who says, I am who I am. And the Jews deny it. They have an opportunity to escape this depravity by Jesus saying, unless you believe in Me. But they deny it. They're blind to it. The effects of living here outside of the Father's will are utterly hopeless. Living for this world, as the Jews did, shirking the will of God, as the Jews did, walking in disobedience, it leads to death in our sins. 
And Jesus here is blatant about the offense of the gospel. We, we will either die believing or we will die in unbelief. Yet even here, even here, Jesus holds out a plan of hope unless you believe. And this points us back to why John is writing this gospel. These things are written that you may believe. Jesus is showing that He is so much more than a man. He is the light of the world. He has the authority of God. He is the Son of God. He follows the plan of God. He really is God. Our only hope is in Him. Leon Morris says, commenting on these verses, unless we believe that He is more than a man, we can never trust Him with that faith that is saving faith. The way we escape the hopeless death Jesus puts in front of us is by believing that He is who He says He is and trusting in Him. There is no hope for us if we hear this truth but fail to live lives changed by it. There is no hope in living in our sin. There is no hope in in being given over to this darkness. And this is the darkness that we all walk in apart from Christ. But there is hope in the God-man, the sent Son, who carries out the Father's will and offers salvation to whoever believes in Him. So today, I implore you, believe in Him. Trust in Him. Trust that He is who He says He is. And it is here that you will find the light of life. The Jews, though, they're catching on slowly, but they're catching on just who Jesus is saying, and they go after Him questioning His very nature. Who are you? The claims of Jesus are so audacious and blasphemous. Who is Jesus to say these things? Who is Jesus to offer hope by believing in Him? The Jews are constantly trying to put Jesus into their own box of who He is, who they think He is as a man and how He operates. But Jesus... Jesus, the light of the world, He decimates the human-originated, divinity-constraining categories of the Jews. Jesus responds saying, I am just who I said I am from the beginning. I'm the Son of God, sent by the Father to carry out His will. My message has not changed since I first came to you. It is His message for you. But the Jews don't get it. So Jesus goes into even more explicit detail about His plan to save. Why He came. Look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And when we see that I am He, we see it twice in this passage, the He is not there. That's just for us to help, help us understand the language. But Jesus is saying, then you will know that I am. Pointing back to the Old Testament. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus is pointing forward to the cross. There is a time coming when He will be lifted up. And this is how He will ultimately prove Himself to be the light of the world. Jesus comes... Jesus comes to shine into our darkness by carrying out the plan of the Father, this plan of salvation. And when He is lifted up on the cross, 
bearing the full wrath of God for the sin of men, there is hope for salvation. There is hope for us today. This, this is the power of God to save sinners. This is the power of God to save you and to save me. So because Jesus carried out the Father's will, we do not fear death if we believe. What Jesus came to do and what He says right here changes our eternal prospects. It changes how we can look at death and look at what's beyond death. We don't need to live for today any longer. We can live for glory forevermore. Because by believing in Him, by following Him, this light of life is yours and is mine. Jesus has a plan for salvation. And Jesus has the power to save. In this world, we are lost in darkness. Every day, I spoke earlier of just the depravity that we face. Our country is actively propagating a distortion of God's plan for marriage and sexuality. God's glory is being robbed as lines are blurred between man and woman. People are devalued as senseless crimes are committed every day, both on those who are meant to protect and by those who are meant to protect. Humanity is disregarded as unborn babies are murdered day after day. We have a very distorted reality of just what God has created, of just who man is. God has created man in His image. Male and female, He created them as a reflection of His glory. Every person... Every person in this world, man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, English-speaking or Spanish-speaking or any other language-speaking, all of these reflect something of the glory of God. There is something of God's glory to be seen in every interaction, in every person that we come across. And God's image, God's glory seen in His image can't be confined or constrained to any one type of person, to any one language, to any one point of time, to any one gender, to any one color. God's glory is seen in all of humanity across all of time, every tribe and tongue. Young, old, black, white, rich, poor. God's glory is seen here. But our culture, our world today, devalues this and runs from this. God's glory seen in His image is, is distorted. And we, we are in darkness. This is depravity. This is confusion. This is hopelessness. This is our world. Moreover, in our sin, we are lost in darkness. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins. We are without hope. Even those who profess to live for God fall and fail and tarnish the beauty of the church, the beauty of what Christ has won. We doubt God. We fall into unbelief. We question His authority in our lives. We don't believe that He is who He says He is. Paul writes these words in Romans 3, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And this is us in our sin. This is us in our darkness, and we will die in this sin. We will walk in this darkness. But hear the words of Jesus calling out in our darkness. I, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. What a hope we have in his light. So if you're a non-Christian here today, if you have not repented of your sins and believed on Jesus, don't delay. There is an opportunity, an invitation to you to believe in him and receive this light of life. Trust in him. Follow him. Jesus is the light of the world. He bore the wrath of God on your behalf. He lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve to die. And he was crucified. He was crucified for us. We place our hope here because as Jesus' lifeless body lay dead in the grave, it began to twitch three days later. Air coursed through the lungs of this body. Blood flowed through his veins. And Jesus was alive. And Jesus is still alive. The words that he has for them, then he has for us today. Whoever believes in him will have the light of life. This is the light that melts the heart of stone. So hope in him. Turn to him and let the light of Jesus, let the light of life shine into your dark heart today. Many of us have repented and trusted in him. So what does this have to do with us? What do we do? Well, we rest in who he is. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Follow his words, which will be a light to your path. Trust his promises. Paul writes of Abraham in, in Romans 4 that he, Abraham was fully convinced of the promises of God. Trust in him and die well. The biblical context for these passages are the truths of Exodus 13. You'll recall I mentioned the, this, this cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that guided him. Jesus is saying, I am, I am that light. Exodus 13 says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Jesus, the light of the world, is your light today. He calls you to follow him, and he, he guides you. This, points, this truth in Exodus points forward to the day the prophet of Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 42. The prophet says, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. This is the light of life that shines for us today. And He does not forsake us. He is with us. And He keeps us in perfect peace as we follow Him, as we fix our eyes and our minds on Him. So when opposition to the name of Jesus rises up in our culture and our country seems to abandon everything that we see as good, Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world that gives life to those who follow Him. He knows where we are going. So trust Him. When it seems like you will never overcome that sin of pride or, or the craving of others' approval or jealousy as everyone else has everything that you want or lust as you keep going back again and again to pornography, Jesus is the light 
of the world shining into the darkness of your sin and overcoming it. He calls you away from your sin to follow Him. Here is true life, eternal life. He gives you the light of life. Follow Him. When you doubt God's wisdom and love and you struggle to believe He is who He says He is because of the relationships He hasn't given you or the job He's keeping you from or the sickness that you just can't overcome, Jesus is the light of the world shining out and beckoning you to believe His promises, to be fully convinced that He is who He says He is, that He has made you a child of light if you believe in Him. So lean on Him. Lean on Him in everything you face. When death breaks into your perfectly planned world and bears its devastating teeth when suffering inevitably shatters your heart and the hearts of those around you, when you come to the dark night of the soul, Jesus is the light of the world. The light shines and the darkness cannot, it does not overcome it. Jesus, the light of the world, overcomes the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, overcomes death. Jesus, the light of the world, overcomes our depravity, our hopelessness. So here is the invitation to you today. Follow Him. Fear not. Trust in Him. Die well. Because Jesus, Jesus is who He says He is. We can have confidence in every circumstance. Because Jesus carried out the Father's will, We don't need to fear death nor anything else we face. Jesus has the authority of God. Jesus is the real deal. He he is God. He has a plan for salvation. And Jesus has the power to change anyone or anything. Look at how our passage concludes in verse 30 here. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus takes those who want to arrest him and silence him and murder him, and he stays their hand. Jesus takes these hearts of stone that are so opposed to him and softens them and saves them. In the blindness of the Jews, Jesus saves. In the blindness of our sin, Jesus saves. Jesus is the light of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the light of life, takes that which is dead and breathes life into it. God is in the business of of taking dead things and giving them life. This is insane. This is our hope. Jesus is the light of the world. If God can do that, if God can take that which is dead, if God can take the heart of stone, how much more can He also graciously provide you and keep you and watch over you in your circumstance today? I'm going to conclude with this, this quote from Russell Moore. He says, It's true, these are dark days. But dark days are exactly what our gospel is for. No day was darker than the day the Son of God died in Palestine on a criminal's cross. We are here because that dark day was not the end of the story. And because it wasn't the end now, then it will never, never be the end now. Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, oh, the darkness has not, it cannot, it will not, it never will overcome it. The true light 
has shown, and that light is the light of life in Jesus Christ. Let him be your hope today. Jesus is the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into this world. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose again victoriously. And by believing in him, we are saved. Thank you, Lord, that, that in these words is an invitation to all who might believe. Thank you that you use the word whoever. Whoever follows me. Thank you that I am included in that whoever. Thank you that these are included in that whoever. Thank you for your gracious invitation that, that our hope isn't in how we perform. Our hope isn't in all the good works that we do. Our hope isn't in trusting in you perfectly, but our hope is in the one who never wavered, who lived a faithful life. Our hope is in the one, the only one, who would have never died in their sins but did die for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for what you have shown us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that this light shines into the darkness of our world. This light shines in the darkness of our sin. And thank you that this darkness can never, can never overcome it. We praise you. We hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.